0: Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world.
1: Welcome to the Top in Tech podcast. This is our monthly digest of all things tech policy, examining why the tech clash is happening in Europe and the world. We look at the politics behind it, the policy agendas that it is emerging from that agenda and where things are likely to go next in the future. We have a very special uh, episode this month because we're going to do a sectoral deep dive. Tech does not exist in a vacuum on its own. It's increasingly interacting with other sectors of the economy, not least financial services. So I'm delighted this month that we're joined by Isadora Arredondo, who is a senior associate in Global Council's financial services practice. Isadora has a background uh, across financial services, but most recently having worked at the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK. So we're in good hands to get Isadora's perspective this month. I'm also uh, delighted, as ever, to uh, welcome back regular podcaster Megan Stagman. Megan is a senior associate in the tech, media, and telecoms team at Global Council. As regular listeners know, Megan leads a lot of our analysis on UK tech policy, and she also works on the intersection of tech and financial services on a day-to-day basis. So we'll be able to provide that tech policy angle to some of the financial services context that Isadora will be giving us. So we're going to cover two issues here today. Uh, The first is the regulation of crypto assets. Uh, We're increasingly uh, seeing conversations in the media around the growth of crypto assets, the fluctuating uh, price of uh, Bitcoin, um, as well as the emergence of uh, new forms of Uh, uh, crypto assets in various different forms, particularly as there's a focus on the development of Web3. The second part will look at a different aspect related to the intersection of tech and financial services. And that is the regulation of fraud and online fraud in particular. So, Is it the responsibility of the banks? Is it the responsibility of the tech sector? Is it a bit of both? And what do regulators think about that? So Isadora, can we start um, with a little bit of a conversation around uh, the crypto asset side of things? I think it's the case in tech, but also in financial services, that there's a lot of buzzwords, a lot of jargon. Uh, One day we're reading about stable coins, the next we're reading about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Next day, it's blockchain. And to be entirely frank, I think a lot of people don't quite understand these blizzard of phrases and how they interrelate with each other and what essentially we mean by the term crypto assets. So can you just start off by setting out for our listeners, what is it that we're going to mean when we say crypto assets and how it's regulated for the rest of our conversation?
2: Hi, Conan. Thank you for the intro and I'm delighted to join you here today to discuss crypto. Um, so crypto assets, I mean, you're not the only one who's confused about the various terminologies that are used. Um, it, is, it is indeed a broad umbrella term that is, that is uh, used to define digital assets supported by an underlying technology, which you've mentioned is called blockchain, that allows users to verify the existence, uniqueness, and the history of peer-to-peer transactions in a public digital ledger, so that sort of introduces a, a higher degree of transparency around payments. But it it also unlocks uh, a range of applications in the digital world that did not exist previously. So crypto crypto enthusiasts, as you'll know, uh, are are uh, indeed indeed believe that it's it's sort of a promising revolution of the financial services ecosystem. Um, But obviously regulators are are faced with a plethora of challenges given, as I said, the the various applications that crypto has and the risks that emerge outside of their regulatory remit and oversight.
1: Okay. So you've set us up well. Um, We've got a bit of a sense of what crypto assets mean, that there's a slight diversity in, in types of crypto assets, which by the very virtue of that implies potentially different regulatory approaches but let's go into the approach of regulators towards this emerging sector. Um, the basic question is, why do governments and regulators have a problem with them? What, why are they worried? We've seen uh, a report by the Financial Stability Board, a global body, which has been uh, critical, or at least given warnings about the use uh, of crypto assets and their impact on financial stability in the financial sector. So, can you just delve into um, what is it the FSB is worried about um, and other regulators, um, and which specific areas?
2: Yes, of course. So, I think given the broad application that you've just talked about, and, and conscious that I didn't go into detail about the sort of differences between stablecoin and decentralized finance and all these other uh, utilities and, and solutions that, that we, we, we are seeing in the market, but in essence, the regulatory concerns. Uh, are very similar to those articulating in other uh, articulated in other emerging realms of finance. They relate to the fact that they are changing rapidly, that they are out of the scope of of, of, of regulatory perimeters, and therefore uh, regulators do not have visibility. As well as uh, con- there is growing concern about the adoption of retail consumers who do not understand the risks, whether they use the as sort of investment. Uh, vehicles or as payment options, there is sort of a growing sense that whilst it it pertains to a smaller percentage of the global financial assets ecosystem, it is still growing and it is still basically associated with uh, some transmission channels in the economy. That could that could have sort of a spillover effect effect and and pose financial stability risks. The FSB report is is particularly tasked with looking at at those effects from from a financial stability point of view, and has been monitoring the sector's growth over over the past few years. And while this report in itself uh, as a, uh, concludes that concludes that the sector has not yet growth to a scale where it could sort of trigger a global financial crisis, it still talks about. The problem of not having visibility of the risks that are crystallizing at the edges of the perimeter, and the the problem of not having um, cross border collaboration on what it is obviously a very international market right now, and it's basically trying to push an agenda that sees greater greater collaboration on this front to avoid arbitrage and avoid sort of fragmentation of approaches as we move. Uh, towards a more digital economy, and these assets prevail as a as a sort of preferred method of payment by retail
1: consumers. Okay, thanks. So, I think broadly speaking, Isadora, you're describing two two sort of buckets of concern. One is that crypto assets get to such a scale, and the regulatory system isn't fit for purpose to deal with that scale, that it has impacts on wider financial stability and uh, more traditional forms of finance and, and banking as we know them but also that second uh, second bucket of issues that you alluded to at the start which is around sort of consumer protection what is happening uh, with with the uh, with crypto assets how they're being used by certain individuals and actors in a way that may not necessarily be uh, legal and can certainly be uh, harmful so We talked about the Financial Stability Board. Uh, That's obviously an international uh, organization. But there's obviously each geography, despite having common principles agreed uh, on the approach, uh, are actually taking different approaches um, with different emphasis about how they're going to tackle. The regulation of crypto assets so i'd like to sort of jump into a few of them in turn. Could we just start with with the UK obviously you know it extremely well from your time at, at the FCA yes. um, how would you uh, characterize the approach that the UK government and its regulatory authorities are currently taking towards regulating crypto assets?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, I would say that the UK has moved from a sort of passive tolerance approach to a more targeted one over the past year as as a sort of visibility of the risks and adoption um, Continues to grow as a first step. I think the regulator started sort of stressing the unregulated status of crypto as a, as a sort of general asset class and hoping that that would be act as a deterrent in essence from broader industry involvement. And whilst we're st- still not seeing sort of banks and, and sort of asset, asset managers and the like providing providing or exposing themselves to crypto, we have seen uh, a growth of retail consumers using crypto for investment purposes. And so the, the UK has, has started having a more sort of targeted approach where it has, it has seen that the risks are crystallizing, um, where it has data to support those risks and, and, in, and in fact make changes um, to the regime that do not require a basic, uh, essentially an overhaul of, 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 of sort of the regulatory apparatus. So one of the examples uh, that we've seen recently is with regards to financial uh, promotions, uh, of crypto assets to retail consumers. So it has, it has been able to sort of bring those, uh, sort of th- that, that, that category under the financial promotions order and ensure that there are clear and fair and more transparent standards with regards to, to, to how, uh, firms communicate with clients. There's also, uh, a, a sort of a separate regime for, for anti money laundering purposes which the FCA also oversees. So so it's it's, it's sort of moving at a slower pace with regards to registering firms uh, that engage in crypto, given the very broad ecosystem. And then there's sort of longer term priorities, such as the Bank of England and HMT's CBDC engagement forum, which would look at sort of whether the entire regulatory structure Uh, would have to change in order to have a sort of safer and more stable digital assets
1: ecosystem. Yeah, there's an interesting observation that sort of flows from this that the UK is clearly, from what you describe, Isadora, been trying to work out when is the moment that you need to move from observing the growth of a sector, sometimes even encouraging it, to actually work to deciding that that is the point that regulation needs to come in. And we've seen this before. We saw it in a previous wave of technological disruption. I would say that the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons of this world endured a much longer period um, in which regulators and policymakers watched and encouraged them, monitored a bit, and then took the decision probably in the 2010s that there needed to be, more direct intervention in the sector, I think the lesson from there, which is probably applying to crypto now, is that that decision was perhaps taken a little bit too late uh, in the consumer internet revolution. And in areas like crypto, particularly given potential financial risks that flow from it, those decisions are starting to be taken earlier. um, than was perhaps the case 20 or 10 years ago. Let's just stick on on the UK uh, for a second here. Megan, we have uh, talked a lot in the past around the UK's tech agenda and how it applies uh, to advertising rules. It's something you follow uh, closely within within the team at GC. Um, one observation I think we were talking about uh, not long ago is just that everywhere you turn, there's a new crypto ad. Uh, if you're in London, you're on the underground, uh, they're pretty much everywhere. If you go online on social media or other platforms, often you will see... Uh, adverts or even user-generated content around this. So given what Isadora has just described, and she made reference to changes around financial promotions, are we seeing a lot of scrutiny around the advertising of crypto assets, not just the underlying uh, regulation of the products? themselves?
0: Well, it's not just you who's seeing these crypto ads everywhere. Um, In fact, there was some research that was done recently into uh, the actual numbers of crypto ads on public transport in London last year. And it found that they'd never been as high as they were. Um, And in particular, the language that is used in some of those ads is what um, is concerning the regulators. So, for example, there was one ad which I saw myself um, saying that it was time to buy crypto. When you're seeing adverts on the tube, it's time to buy. Um, and that one, which was by um, a company called Luno Money, uh, was banned by the Advertising Standards Authority in the ASA um, in May last year, because they felt that it was irresponsible and it was misleading, um, and therefore, it shouldn't be up in public places. Um, the company that um, had that ad banned responded by saying, well, that's fine, but we need more guidance. I mean, this is it's not clear at the moment what is or is not allowed. Um, the ASA has pointed to the fact that it's already got its advertising code, but clearly felt compelled to issue some further guidance um, earlier this month. So, they've said, for example, that all ads need to make clear that cryptos aren't regulated or protected, that the value of those can go up Um, down as well as up, um, that the ads shouldn't take advantage of users' inexperience, given that this is very new, um, and that they also need to be clear about the basis that's used to calculate any projections or forecasts. So, we're starting to see some sort of guidance emerging there. Um, Perhaps more substantively, um, the Treasury also announced last month that it would be looking to see crypto ads um, become subject to the same rules um, as the likes of Uh, shares or insurance, um, which are governed by the FCA. So, what that means in practice is that it would become a system of proactive regulation um, rather than reactive regulation. So, the ads need to pass muster through the FCA before they launch rather than the ASA just investigating the problematic ones. And although this isn't going to take place before 2023, it's certainly something that um, we need to watch coming down the track.
1: Thanks, Megan. So, I think we've got a pretty good picture for where you both described of where the UK is, but obviously the UK is but one of, of many jurisdictions here that are tackling the, the challenges and the complexities of how to regulate crypto assets. I mean, Isadora, can we can we jump across the channel and take a little look at the um where the EU is going on this? Um, does it fit the caricature that some would have of the European Union that it takes quite a precautionary approach to regulation compared to say the UK or most obviously the US
2: I would say that the EU has certainly made much more progress on this on this front than other jurisdictions recently McGuinness uh, seems to suggest that it is definitely ahead of the curve but also she cautioned that she was that, that the EU is not alarmed of the sector's growth yet in terms of financial stability risks but the the, the context is important because some member states have started to sort of voluntarily introducing bespoke rules at a national level to prevent harms. For instance, um, Spain has also started uh, talking about introducing financial promotions rules in, in its market, uh, as well as Italy. So, obviously, the Commission has this this broader concern about uh, fragmentation and arbitrage. Uh, and as a result of that, it has been working on its markets and crypto assets fra- framework, which is designed to streamline digital assets assets regulation more broadly as part of its digital strategy and bringing assets such as stablecoins and their provide providers into the into the regulatory remit and apply sort of adequate capital and and, and conduct rules to those to those issuers. Because we're seeing sort of a lot a, a lot less transparency in the sector. And I think that the, the EU is also making a lot more progress, or at least it has made announcements of its progress on its digital euro agenda uh for which it plans to introduce a legislative framework by 2023 um i think a lot of members are actually supportive of this agenda because they are supportive of the transition away from cash given uh the the, the latter's prevalence in in sort of financial crime and and tax evasion and they're very they're very Wary of, 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 some of the risks associated with the decline of cash and no, no sort of publicly backed alternatives. So we're, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of regulatory chatter, uh, not as much detail, but certainly, um, sort of announcements that, that point to, to a sort of, uh, a lot of progress in the legislative agenda going forward.
1: Okay. I mean, so, I mean, in, in some sense, the, the EU is sort of going a bit further than the UK in a way that you know we would we would expect might might be the case. Um, can we sort of draw a similar uh, sort of caricature? Well, not similar, but a, a, you know, can we draw on a character of the US and does that fit? I mean, Megan will sort of you know be able to. Add to this that every time we talk about US tech policy, the answer tends to be, well, you can't really get a law passed at federal level. So the action really is some states, whether that's Florida or uh, California or elsewhere, or it's in the regulatory bodies, say, uh, that are looking to, uh, say, perhaps push antitrust actions against tech firms. Um, is it also the case in um Crypto assets. Is there any regulatory regulatory framework on on the horizon, or is it is it a little bit more disparate, like I've just described? Very much so.
2: It's it's a lot more disparate. I would say that the the U.S. experience is, is is a useful illustration of the range of applications that crypto has, and the and the sort of potential gaps in regulatory oversight that that causes, and that can emerge as as part of the process of officials sorting out what falls under their. Jurisdiction in essence, because we have sort of state banking regulators that oversee US and for inverter currency spot exchanges. We have the IRS that regulates crypto for, for, for tax purposes. We have FinCET that focuses on AML. So it is, it is a very sort of fragmented and, uh, disparate, as you, as you said, approach to, to regulation. We've seen a bit more discussion about the sec trying to to the SEC to trying to see if, 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 if unbacked crypto assets like Bitcoin should come under the definitions of, of securities and therefore be regulated as such, because we've seen a lot of players in the US recently trying to Take advantage of, of, of some loops in, in, in the regulatory regime to conduct activities that pretty much fall under the definition of a regulated activity. But I think that there is a lot more division from a, on the political front with regards to what that future regime should look like. And there is also a lot less bandwidth in terms of bringing forward legislation that would, that would sort of Create uh, uh, a sort of a, a no- novel architecture, not least because of some of the challenges that you've discussed previously. With regards to, you know, will will tech, big tech, fall into to uh, financial regulators' remits? Do we need a sort of entity based approach to regulation? So these are discussions that are happening at a at a high level, and we're still seeing sort of the Senate and, and others trying to hold more inquisitive sessions as opposed to uh, comprehensive and detailed conversations with industry on some of the risks. Uh, very much le- less progress on the CBDC front, though I think there's going to be a lot more pressure for for the U.S. to deliver a, a sort of articulated position on this given sort of, you know, suspicions that it might it might have implications for the U.S. dollar as a, as a sort of foreign currency reserve.
1: Okay, so th- thanks for that, Isadora. I mean, I'd, I'd like to bring this... Uh conversation uh, to a close shortly. I just want to focus finally, Megan, on on the sort of business angle here. Um, as we know, as we talked about a little bit before, uh, tech companies are facing this tech clash, facing more regulation, but traditionally haven't faced the level of supervision that, say, a bank would or highly regulated uh, sectors. is probably going to come, but not, not quite yet. Um, what are the considerations, do you think, for, for tech companies? Like, As Adora said, big tech companies could end up being brought within financial regulatory remits. I mean, what's – how – Can you talk through some of the cultural and um, impacts of this for some of the companies who have used to a very different regime?
0: Well, we've spoken a bit about crypto today, but um, actually tech companies are increasingly intersecting with financial services and crypto is just one example. So, we're seeing expansion of tech um, as mobile payments continues to rise. They're now pretty much completely prevalent. Uh, We've got e-commerce firms who are looking at how they can use customer data to better manage credit risk, for example. So, in all kinds of directions, we're seeing technology and financial services now link. Um, And the consequence of that is that tech companies that, as you say, have been largely unregulated for decades are now suddenly facing the prospect of what could be quite onerous financial services regulation. Um, One example We've spoken on this podcast before about the online safety bill. um, And earlier this month, it was announced that money laundering was going to be listed as a new priority illegal harm. So, if that comes to be, then suddenly social media services and other online services that are within scope are going to have to proactively protect against um, money laundering. That begs the question, are they going to have to do KYC, know your customer checks? I mean, that's quite a long way beyond just the – debate around anonymity that's currently ongoing. Um, On top of that, we've also got banks who are getting increasingly worried about the competition that's posed by tech and therefore are lobbying for parity, um, at least in regulation or perhaps something that goes even further given the extra data that tech companies have. So, for example, they feel that while open banking requires banks to share customer data with tech companies, this isn't reciprocated and therefore that isn't fair. Similarly, they want to see more scrutiny of how tech companies use algorithms when they're operating in financial markets. Um, and then another big one is uh, how cloud providers should be regulated um, and whether they should even count as financial service entities. What are the kind of resilience issues that surround that? So, lots of questions that still remain to be answered, but um, certainly we're seeing the two sectors merge increasingly.
1: Well, thanks to you both for for covering quite a vast range of topics and geographies regarding crypto assets there uh, in such a concise and informative uh, manner. I I want to pick up, Megan, where you just left it then. So look, there's this crossover between financial services and tech. um, And there are views, certainly within the financial services sector, that uh, the regulatory uh, uh, playing field should be uh, equal between both the tech sector and financial services. And the story of last year in this really was about online fraud. Uh, We saw parliamentary uh, hearings on this, we saw a round of uh, media coverage, we saw uh, comments by ministers, we saw all sorts going on. Um, So can we we just focus uh, the remaining part of the podcast just to explore what's been going on there in particular? Um, and what can we uh what can we look uh, forward to in the future just to understand where the agenda might go next? so this is all as you mentioned earlier Megan wrapped up in the online safety bill uh, which is a piece of legislation we've been expecting for quite a long time and actually we've talked about it repeatedly uh, on this uh, podcast um If I recall correctly, Boris Johnson, uh, actually at Prime Minister's questions in the uh, British Parliament, actually promised that this piece of legislation would be tabled by the end of last year. Well, um, it's nearly March and uh, no legislation has been published yet. So, uh, can you just update us on are we to expect this anytime soon?
0: In short, yes. Um, we're, so, currently, the government is making some amendments to the draft, um, which uh, were due after the pre-legislative scrutiny that has taken place. So, we're now expecting the new draft to be in Parliament, probably by the third week of March, we're hearing. Um, We've been drip-fed some changes already that um, government has made, such as the um, illegal priority harms that I mentioned earlier. Um, So, we know that these changes are already going to be in there. There will be others as well that um, we only find out about once the draft is published. Once it's published, the process will probably take a while. Um, So, It needs to undergo normal uh, parliamentary procedure, which means going through both houses of Parliament. Um, And then even once it's got royal assent, there will probably be a grace period for certain things like criminal liability, for example. So, essentially, yes, it's going to be in Parliament soon, but uh, not sure how quickly it's actually going to be implementable.
1: Well, thanks. I suppose I will reserve some scepticism for that for that timeline that we, we understand for March, given we've heard similar things before and it has slipped. But I mean, it does sound a little bit more uh, concrete than perhaps uh, previously. So let's, once it comes, whether that's March or whenever in the future, um, can you just talk to the fact around uh, online fraud um, and the extent to which this is going to be regulated as part of the bill?
0: Yeah, so You mentioned when you were introducing this that there's been a concerted campaign around this um, which has been ongoing for literally years actually um, and initially the inclusion of fraud was rejected by the government because there were fears of the bill becoming a so-called Christmas tree bill, so trying to hang too many things on it and therefore losing some of its efficacy as a, as a result. Um, last year we then saw um, an attempt at a compromise, so they said that User-generated um, content scams um, and fraud would be included. So that means, for example, romance fraud um, of the likes that many listeners might have seen the Tinder swindler recently, um, and even in spite of that, we've seen continuing concern about scam ads. Um, So, this means paid for advertising rather than just user-generated content. Um, We did see earlier this month that fraud was listed as an illegal offence on the face of the bill. So, we know it's going to be there in some capacity. However, we don't have specifics on that language yet. So, um, not clear to what extent that will be paid for advertising. However, we're seeing continued efforts by the likes of the Treasury Select Committee to get scam ads included. Um, and they've even called for know your customer or KYC checks on advertisers to be part of the bill. So essentially, it's continuing to ramp up further. We'll have to wait and see what's actually in the bill um, when it's published. But in the meantime, there's ongoing parliamentary process. So, for example, there's a digital fraud committee that has been set up um, and is hearing evidence for the first time later this week from law enforcement. So, it's not a debate that's going to go away anytime soon. And although the government's trying to push back on including it, I think we're going to just keep seeing more.
1: Okay. So, so, so it's going to be, be in there. We're not quite sure exactly how the provisions will operate in practice. I mean, but one of the key themes and one of the key questions here is – who actually does the regulating here. We know that Ofcom, the tech sector's sectoral regulator, is going to be overseeing the online safety bill framework. Um, But there is a question about whether actually it makes more sense on something like fraud, which essentially is a financial issue, whether the FCA, um, your former, Former employer Isadora uh, might be better placed and have the requisite expertise at the institution in order to to regulate this more effectively. Can you just talk through a little bit about about this question about who who actually does the regulating? <laughs>
2: Yes, of course. Um, so to your former point, I'm not sure that the F, that the UK is yet at a point where we see the need for a separate fraud, or more accurately, accurately speaking, economic crime regulator. But it can certainly be something to consider in the future, um, not least because of the, the nature of sort of monitoring and, and overseeing fraud has become very fragmented and 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 requires a more comprehensive overview of, of the landscape. In fact, the Treasury Select Committee and its late Latest economic crime uh, reports suggested that there could be merit in a single regulator for sort of legal, accountancy, trust, and corporate services. But to take that kind of approach to uh, an ultimate end state, you could see sort of a sort of single economic crime regulator for all industries, like we have for 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 data with the ICO or CMA for the competition. But I would hazard a guess and say that we are not yet uh, sort of. At that point, where that model might be implemented, um, and I don't think that the FCA has yet signaled, signaled its intention to to overstep its remit or or overstep into someone else's remit, in
1: essence. Yeah, it's th- I mean, it's interesting that, isn't it? I mean, th- clearly there is a case that Ofcom and the FCA do need to work together on this. Whether the case has been made yet for a standalone. Separate regulatory authorities, you say, hasn't quite been made. But, Megan, we've talked in the past about the Digital Regulators Cooperation Forum, the DRCF, which has the CMA, uh, it has the ICO, has Ofcom, and the FCA are members of this. The whole idea of it is that they coordinate their activities and share expertise to make sure that digital regulation does work well in the UK and the issues don't fall between the cracks of, of different uh, regulators. To the point about whether there could be a separate regulatory body on this, do you think there's any logic here that actually the DRCF might be a body that could play that role when it comes to economic crime and, and online fraud?
0: I think it's quite unlikely that it would become the authority. Um, the DRCF It's not a decision making body. It doesn't have statutory footing. Um, And therefore, it's more about. Coordination and cooperation rather than enforcement. So it's probably not the right um, authority in that respect. Also, the last work plan for 2021 and 22 um, didn't mention fraud, but it did say that it would look at where online regulation met financial regulation. And the FCA um, joining the group was only actually after that work plan was published. So I think it's possible that there will be more than there was last year a focus on the intersection between the two. Um, We're expecting a new work plan of the group probably in the next month or so, um, if it's been a full year since the last one. So, that might give some further clues about any work streams relating to online fraud.
1: Thanks. So, I mean, I think it seems pretty clear that if if it is going to be within the remit of the bill, then Ofcom will will need to take the lead for now. The DRCF might be a useful forum for them to... uh, consult with the FCA on this particular issue, but we don't really expect there to be anything new, uh, particularly in the absence of any legislation. But there is, I think, and we should explore this in future podcasts, a very interesting question about the regulatory setup, in the UK at least. Is there a need for a single regulator uh, in certain areas, new ones like we've just described, or a combined, should the DRCF actually just become a super regulator in the UK with separate divisions uh, addressing uh, different issues, whether that's competition, economic crime, uh, online harms, and so on and so forth. I know the House of Lords, I think that's one of their committees are currently looking into this question. So, Isadora, let's just cap off – this uh, conversation, we talked a lot about the, how the different threads add up together between uh, what's going on with certain regulatory bodies or different pieces of legislation, how how they fit together and how v- how our listeners can understand how to make sense of all the different things that are happening. So I suppose the final question here is, we focused on the online safety bill but is this the only show in town when it comes to economic crime and online online fraud i mean should our listeners be looking out for other policy initiatives this year some maybe already happening or some that we should be expecting in our calendars later on
2: so i think there are two key things to look out for um, one is the upcoming economic crime bill, which is expected in the next Queen's speech. And mo- much of the focus is on sort of broader reforms and economic crime and AML. But it could also pose an opportunity for fo- further fo- fo- focus on fraud. Uh, and then, there's the, then there is the economic crime plan. Um, so the current plan, which was introduced in, in 2019, is due to come to an end this year. And the Home Office and HMT are committed to developing a new one. That will address the growing threat of economic crime in the UK. So there's already pressure on government to ensure it has a greater focus on online harms, fraud, and growing risks from sort of you know crypto and ultimately Web point three
1: I think that sort of brings our conversation to a to a happy conclusion. There, um, I'd just like to uh, flag to any of our listeners that if you, your business, uh, your investment are exposed to uh, crypto uh, asset regulation or to uh, the regulation of online fraud in the UK or elsewhere, please don't hesitate uh, to get in touch. Uh, You can find the contact details for Isadora and Megan and also the details of our sectoral teams, the tech media telecoms practice and the financial services practice at Global Council, just on our website at www.global-council.com or via the link that you can find uh, in the podcast notes. Um, I'd just like to thank Isadora and Megan uh, once again and also thanks to uh, our listeners uh, for tuning in and we look forward to uh, picking up some different topics next month. Thank you very much. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.com and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council. Thank you.